Welcome to episode two of the Friedman Files. Uh, we forgot in episode one to introduce ourselves, so I will start. I'm Jesse Ulrich. Oh, is that my cue? I'm Barry Friedman. Yes. <laughs> As you can tell, we are still uh, we're still new at this. Going to go on about yourself about yourself a little bit more than you. Oh, want. about me. Well, I have a uh, background in Judaic studies. I am related to Barry, and I love podcasting and politics. And so that's why I'm here. Ah, well, uh, I have no uh, actual knowledge about Judaic studies, except uh, Gefilte Fish is terrible. Mm-hmm. I have a uh, a column I write every other week for Tulsa Voice magazine in Tulsa. And uh, I'm also a stand-up comedian, which is what I'm doing in the Bahamas right now. And we, together, with, with my technical knowledge, I, I also work for a website, so I know lots about the interwebs. I help Barry sort of Combine his multiple blogs into one, which is uh, Friedman of the Plains, which is hosted on the wonderful Medium platform. You would be the blog master. I am the blog master. It's, um, I don't know, it's skills you pick up when you're doing other things. So so everyone go check out Friedman of the Plains, you know, bookmark it, you know, make a Medium account so you can follow it. We're doing quite well, I think. So, but moving on to less happy topics. If you want. The Trump tax cuts. Well, it's a Trump tax page. Page, yes. One, we, we, should, we should be precise. Right. It, the talking points, there really was very few uh, specifics at all in the tax cut plan, other than the rich are going to do really well and the rest of us are not. That pretty much was the plan. What fascinates me is that there seems to be already evidence out that it would actually raise taxes on the middle class and the almost poor, I, I should say. Right. There was the John Steinbeck line that nobody in this country is poor or all just temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yeah. And for some reason, I think the selling point is that if we, if we take care of the rich and if we don't annoy them and if we don't make them provide safe working conditions and if we let them bring their money back and if we don't tax them too heavily and certainly if we don't make them have to carry insurance, then they might – brush some crumbs off the table, and we might get some of those, and we might get a few jobs as long as we don't insist on minimum wages or anything like that. That that still seems to have, as cynical as that was, that still seems to have some resonance in this country. That people still think that the problem here is not the ultra-rich, it's the poor people who are holding up, holding us back, and those us would be the people in the middle. It's, again, we talked about this last episode, but the the ideals behind, you know, Trump's make America great again, there's this weird disconnect because that America that didn't exist in the first place had much higher taxes on the wealthy. 
And that's why things were so great for the middle class and for, uh, you know, the majority of Americans. And that's why we could afford massive infrastructure projects because we had a massive tax base and it's just slowly been whittled down since then. And so of course we have a massive deficit because we're not, we're not taxing the people who make the most, you know, at a level that is helpful to us. And if you think about that infrastructure in the fifties, when, when Eisenhower decided to build the interstate highway system, a number of states had to give up land to the federal government so that could be built. Yeah. What are the chances that a president now, especially a Democratic president now, could go to some of the governors of some of these Republican states in the South and say, we need X amount of land for a federal project to, to connect one coast to the other? I mean, this notion that this infrastructure could work and could come from the federal government, I don't see any evidence of. Where are, where are the states these days saying, for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the nation, we will give up, let's say, land or a tax base or, or health care? I'm not seeing that. So again, the, the message that confounds liberals and will confound them until Trump leaves office in 2024 is how exactly the message is getting out and what people are hearing. And if all they're hearing is everything you're hearing negatively about Trump is a lie and fake news, then maybe that's the answer. But maybe they're hearing something else. And what they're hearing is something we liberals and progressives are not hearing. Maybe we don't want to hear it, but uh, it's so obvious to many of us that this is a dog and pony show. Designed for the rich and designed for his friends and designed for his family with very little benefit to the middle class, very little benefit to people who vote for him, the 61 million people who voted for him. Uh, and the problem to me is, and I think what what's happening now is, Trump's greatest reservoir of support, the stuff that really is the wind beneath his particular wing, is that he is annoying liberals and he's annoying progressives. And that seems to be the currency now. The more he annoys us, the more his base is solidly behind him. It is ultra selfish to me that that seems to be the reason that Trump is still so popular among people he's popular with. Clearly, if you look at his look at the tax plan and you look at the health care plan, which we're going to talk about, there's nothing in it for those people, those unemployed roofers who are tired of the system and decided I have to support Trump because he'll shake it up. There's nothing in there, there's nothing in the first hundred days that would say to them. Things are changing the better for you. We don't have estates over $11 million that we can say, great, now we don't have to pay taxes on. $11 million exemption before anybody pays a tax on estates. $11 million. If you make $55,000 a year, you do not have to worry about that exemption, ever. You will, will fall well behind, underneath that $11 million figure to give to your your children and grandchildren. And yet that's actually in the tax plan. That was in that made the cut the first page to do away with the estate tax. How was that not left off? How was yeah, that or the, yeah, or the eliminating the alternative minimum tax, which was really just put in there to tax the wealthy at least at a, a certain degree, even if they were able to escape every other, you know, every other tax with you know, a loophole or a pass-through or whatnot. They're getting rid of that too. In the in the in the 2005 tax return that, that Trump released, that he that, that he paid 35 million dollars on, 
That was the alternate minimum tax. That was why he paid $35 million. Otherwise, he would have paid close to $11 million. That's a $24 million savings if the alternate minimum tax goes away. And that doesn't affect people making $55,000, $60,000 a year. Again, that makes the cut. That's in the tax plan. And again, confounded. How does that not forget being left at? How was that not? How does that infuriate people? It's, you know, I try to think about, okay, if I'm, you know, what I'm hearing versus, okay, well, what, uh, what are his supporters hearing? What, what makes this appealing to them? And it's partly, they probably, probably majority of them don't pay as close of attention as we political wonks do. And also, you know, going back to a great West Wing quote that was probably stolen from somewhere else was, you know, everyone dreams of the day they're going to be rich, right? Right. So, so how do you get around that to be like, you don't want to, again, I don't want class warfare. I don't want people being angry at the, at the rich. On the other hand, there is now these pass throughs, these LLCs are so ridiculous and it's such clearly a way of hiding money. I'm like, how, this, it's not only that it's not fair, it's just so, it's, it's immoral and un-American. It, it, right. it does seem to me that clearly, I mean, the argument is from the Trump supporter, uh, we give too much away to lazy people and we punish the working class and we punish people who are doers and shakers and the people who create jobs and create wealth. Why do we punish them so we can give money to people undeserving? And you throw in the undeserving immigrants and people who shouldn't be here legally and any other minority you don't like. And that's pretty much what fuels it, that somehow we've been giving away the store, and now we're going to give it back to the people who deserve it, who worked hard for it. And one of the reasons they would say that you and I complain about this is we don't make a lot of money, so we don't have to pay a lot in taxes, so other people don't have to do anything. Forget there's no actual basis for that. There's no real thing as welfare anymore. There's some SNAP payments. There's some some other things, but no one's actually getting money anymore to sit around to do nothing. I'm not sure why that still has resonance, but it does. And there are people who were left behind, and there were people who, who, who uh, were not represented, and there were industries that were decimated. And you could see where the frustration was, and you could see why they wanted something different and why they didn't like Hillary Clinton and wanted something new. But again, at some point you have to ask those people, who you voted for will not help you. And to say, well, I'm voting for him anyway because he's new and he tells it like it is, then I think you can have an argument with people who say, look, I don't want to have class warfare and I don't want to be an elitist here, but you're just wrong about this, and here's why. Your health care will be taken away from you, right? If you have a yeah. condition, you're going to have a problem. And all the tax breaks are not going to help you. And if they do help you, it really is just condescending. They're going to give you a couple of bucks here and there. This will not benefit you. The, the deficit will go up, which means interest rates will go up which means any benefit you may get from the tax cut is going to go away. Seems pretty clear. But again, people's frustrations and people's identities and people's sense of what America is is a very difficult thing to sort of find a way around. And to find that way around, we are convinced, we are told, liberals are just out of touch and we just don't get it. That there's an anger out there. 
And our question now, 100 days in, is angry about what? And how is it going to be resolved in your favor? Giving billionaires a, a break on estates is not going to help you. Letting them bring money back from overseas at a 10% tax rate is not going to help you. They're not going to take that money and create jobs. They're going to take that money and buy stock and invest more of it overseas. This, how many times are we going to have the same conversation? Yeah. Tax but, not spur the yeah. economy as much as people who want the tax cuts say it will. They just want their money back. And that's a perfectly understandable, if not reasonable, uh, stance. I worked really hard for my money. I'm tired of it being given away to whomever. And there we are. The argument I've always had with my conservative friends over tax rates and whatnot, you know, the point they throw at me is that, you know, if you if you raise taxes on these people, they're not going to want to work as hard and to invest, you know, in their companies more because they're not going to pay those higher taxes. And my response is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because people who work hard and make a lot of money want to continue doing those things. The, the, you know, raising their taxes isn't going to stop them from wanting to be successful. And if it is, then why do we care? Like, those aren't... The, the, the argument that they give you actually has some residence in Oklahoma in that. Right now, I don't know if we talked about this last time, the gross domestic production tax on, on oil and, and gas revenue is, is lowest in the nation. And so if yeah. you raise it to 7 8%, people say they will drill elsewhere. Well, where else are they going to drill? They're not going to drill in New York because there's no oil there. And George Kaiser said you drill where the hydrocarbons are, where God put the hydrocarbons. And so you could argue that, again, whatever the taxes are on, on gross receipts on oil and gas production – People will pay it because that's where the oil is. Yes. And they're making plenty of money. And especially if at one point that, that gross production tax was at seven, then it drops down to two. And then you say, listen, we can't afford it at two. Let's go back to seven. Nobody's really hurt there because you're going back to where it was. It's not really a tax rate. You've got a, a holiday for how many years at 2%. So the outrage that we're raising taxes on the, the movers and shakers – Again, to me, falls apart. But again, the argument is not resonating with me. It's resonating with people who would still run today. He would still win today if the election were held. The other argument is maybe liberals and progressives should stop wringing their hands because Trump will not defy logic forever. And every administration um, eventually gets, that's, gets hoisted on its own particular petard. And he is no different. Maybe it will happen. Maybe Republicans will go to spine. Maybe courts will. Maybe the media. A bunch of things will happen. But right now, it is a very frustrating time because the arguments and the facts seem so obvious, uh, and they're either being swatted away or just ignored in the whole fake media, negative press. People don't like Trump. Liberals are trying to bring him down. The liberals control the banks and the media kind of thing. The banks, the media. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know... The Jews run the banks, so that, you know, Jews equals liberals in these people's minds. So not to stereotype an entire group of people. So speaking of the Oklahoma budgetary issues, um, for our listeners who live in Oklahoma, there are election days, May 9th, and there is both a special election and a primary for some House seats that were given up either due to 
corruption, sexual harassment, or someone getting a better job. So maybe it's time for people in Oklahoma, if you're listening, to you know take a look at the the parties of the people running and maybe choose something different, shake it up, as as Trump supporters used to say. Well, Oklahoma is is sort of the laboratory for America. We've had Republican rule here for at least eight years, actually more than that, but but eight years since Mary Fallon, right? Governor, mm-hmm. governor, every major elected office holder in Oklahoma is Republican, including mayors of the two biggest cities, all the representatives, all the uh, senators. Uh, and so this is what happens when you have complete Republican one party rule anywhere. Schools, budget, prisons. I mean, we just had this uh, committee that uh, came out and said that, you know, we've got to stop executions because we've been, we've been, we've been messing them up and we've been botching them. And before we go forward, we need to make sure our protocols are correct. Unanimous decision of this, this committee that was put together by the governor. The attorney general said, hey, great recommendations. I'm ignoring them all. We're still going to have executions starting in however many weeks. Now, at some point, the, the body politic, voters in Oklahoma have to decide we do not want that kind of government. Because even if you're for the death penalty, one would argue you should also be for competence. Yes. We can't kill them any way we want. We need to kill them with a certain, you know, again, protocol in place. So what happens is if that attorney general gets reelected and if the Republicans retain control, which they will, I mean, they don't have enough Democrats in Oklahoma right now to fill a Dodge Durango. At what point do, do we say this is what this is what Oklahoma wants? They want to be 49th in the nation in schools. They want to be first in botched executions. They want to be first in women incarcerated. They want to be, you know, first in all the bad things and last in all the good things. And it and and you're right. This is the time when you actually have to shake it up. And there are plenty of people in Oklahoma who are upset and are working for change. But as we said last time, if 26 teachers or 30 teachers run for the state legislature and none of them win, not one teacher won in those elections last year, that has to tell you that maybe Oklahoma is very happy being Oklahoma. Voted for, voted for Trump 67-33. They voted for Romney in that. They voted for McCain. I mean, we're very happy being what we are. So what do you do with that? Well, I mean, just because they ran doesn't necessarily mean they were, you know, primed for running a good campaign, right? I don't know. It's like Oklahoma and Kansas are, has you know, seem to be coming to a reckoning point about conservative politics and which parts of those they actually care for because... There's there's competent conservative government and incompetent conservative government, and I think both states are realizing that even if they may agree with Republicans more often than Democrats, the Republicans that are being elected are not the most competent ones. So, well, it's it's a great line um, that you you throw uh, piety to the cheap seats and cash to the luxury boxes. And since everybody wants to sit in the luxury boxes, they think, well, there there I will be someday. Yeah, and I don't want to punish the rich people because I'm going to be rich. Going back to our first point, uh, 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, you have people who run, and again, Oklahoma's always been a conservative state. Even when Democrats run, ran the state, they were never the, they were never Charles Schumer who ran it. They, they were progressive. They were, they were conservative Democrats. They were sane Republicans. Uh, and now we just look at what's going on, and you could argue, and I'm sure the legislat- legislators argue, we keep getting reelected, right? Mm-hmm. Why should we change? It's not what our people want. So for someone to say whether our people want it or not, this is the right or wrong thing to do, we're going to change. It's a very difficult thing to do because then you're saying, wait a minute, I'm not listening to the people. We are going to change because it's the right. Who am I to make that decision? Well, as a legislator, are you a voice of the people or do you lead the people? That's a tough call for some of these guys who yeah. have another great West Wing line, even on their best days, and they don't have a lot of best days. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. Our system of government is not actually a democracy as it is a, a federal Republican system, which means that you're supposed to elect people to make decisions for you, not make decisions you want, because you, as a regular citizen, aren't supposed to have the time to really get into the details. Right, but that's not how that's not how our election system actually works, right? It's you getting catered to, and you voting for the person who thinks would do what you would do, and that's not that's not how I vote. I'm sorry, Jonathan Alter of Newsweek said, I think before the 2012 election or 2008 election, I'm not voting for anybody anymore who doesn't tell me something that that doesn't upset me, that doesn't shake one of my beliefs to the core. Yeah, that I want a leader who tells me. Jonathan, you're wrong about this. This is what has to happen. Yeah. I know that many people want to be told, uh, here's how it needs to be. I mean, uh, I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but we, we both, you and I belong to the same temple. And when they were changing rabbis, somebody got up and said, our new rabbi, I don't want a rabbi telling me what to do. Really? Just go bowling if you don't want a rabbi telling you what to do. How could you not want a president who tells you what to do or a congressman who tells you what to do? They're smarter than you. You want them to be smarter than you. But a lot of people, not just in Oklahoma, certainly in New York and Massachusetts and other liberal bastions, don't want people telling them what to do. Well, if we're going to elect people, smart people, resourceful people, we should allow them to tell us what to do. And one of the things they should tell us, for instance, in Oklahoma is the tax structure that we put in place eight years ago doesn't work. We have to fix it, change it. Don't vote for me again. But the state cannot run at this present tax rate. Yeah. You know, and that takes that takes both courage and vision. And it that seems to be something that people running for political office recently have been lacking and on both sides. They don't need it. No one calls them on it. I mean, they, some people call them on it. I yeah. mean, plenty of Democrats in Oklahoma are just furious at, at representatives and, and the legislation. I mean, they're furious about it and they're articulate about it and they're persuasive about it. But if those people get reelected, you tell me why they should change. Talk about gloating at that point. We had a terrible year in Oklahoma. We had a terrible couple of years. Republicans increased their majority. I'm not sure I would change just because a couple of liberals on a podcast get annoyed about it. Because that's how they look at us. We're, we're, we're mosquitoes who land on their arm before they swat them away. You know, I mean, I've, what's funny is Oklahoma as a state has an actual like deep um, socialist history from back in the day which was, you know, came to the fore when uh, Bernie Sanders won the Oklahoma Democratic primary. 
And there's this weird competing sense in in Oklahoma, I've always felt, of wanting to take care of your community and your neighbors and your family versus the the opposite side of that, which is like, you know, I don't want to help other people. I, you know, there's that that empathy gap. Right, but there's right because because Bernie Sanders won, but so did Ted Cruz. Yeah, ah, Ted Cruz. I do not miss having to hear him all the time. I can tell you that. Um, but, but a state, you could argue, Oklahoma's what pretty pretty iconoclastic, right? For a state like yeah. Oklahoma to, to to both Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz, what does that say about us? Look at the disparity in political thought here in Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find that fascinating. Like, I think that's great. Like that means, I don't know. There, there's, there, there's a. Po- I'm, I'm an optimist, so I feel like there's a positive note there. I'm just not sure what it is yet. Right. You want to think as a positive note because Bernie Sanders won in a place like Oklahoma. That's 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 good. But you know, in the general election, he would have lost to Trump just as badly as Clinton did. You know, one of the problems with that is so the last two campaigns that Obama ran and he lost in Oklahoma, obviously both times, but each time he got close to five hundred thousand votes in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. 500,000 people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of voters. It fills a lot of stadiums. Now, true, Romney and McCain each got a million, and Trump got close to a million also. But 500,000 people can make a lot of noise. Yeah. I'll tell you, Tulsa, where I live, I mean, this is an articulate noise. This is a well-reasoned noise. And uh, you got to figure at some point, some of that logic's going to get through only because at some point people, if they don't, if they don't respond and they don't vote their own self-interest, they'll vote their own survival. And enough people who lose their health care and enough people who have their taxes raised so uh, the estate tax can be obliterated, eventually, again, Trump can't defy nature and logic forever, eventually that will take a toll. But for many of us, that point, that time has long passed. Why hasn't it already taken a toll? What more do people need to know? Right, the collapse yeah. of 2008 financially in this country. Bush started it, and then Obama said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna fix it. We're gonna bail out the people who need to be bailed out, and bail out the banks because on Friday people need to go cash their checks." Yeah. But what we're gonna say is we're gonna put some stuff in place, change some some things in the system, so this will not happen again. And what's happened since then is those systems, those changes in the system have been dismantled in the name of how dare you, you know, constrict entrepreneurship. And you go, wait a minute, that's what got us in this mess in the first place. How short a memory do you have? How amnesic are you? That's the part that, again, that is frustrating. You wonder, here here are the problems. Here's what happens when you have no regulation. So we fix it. We bail out those people who need to be bailed out. We put systems in place so it won't happen again. And then what happens is we take away the systems. So this will all happen again in ten and how many years again? And we're going to go through this again. Well, for for our listeners who are in Oklahoma and who would like a change, don't forget to vote in the special elections for District Twenty Eight and District Seventy Five. So, right. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. You know, vote for uh, Steve Barnes and uh, you know choose between Karen Gatiss and Jamie Smith. Who are the Democrats? Um, I will not read the Republicans' names because saying them out loud is kind of funny because they have really conservative sounding names, like Skip Steele. Well, the, and the other thing is, again, we don't need to be balanced here because 
they get their message out. So yeah, yeah. So be, and again, like voting for an Oklahoma voting for an Oklahoma Democrat is not like voting for a a Massachusetts Democrat. So you shouldn't have to feel you shouldn't have to feel too bad. Right. Although in Oklahoma, Scott Inman, the minority minority speaker, is running for governor next time. Yes. So that's a positive development. He's a good conservative. He'd be a Republican in any other state. Yeah. But in Oklahoma, he's considered a Democrat. Well, as we are approaching our set timeline for how long this should be, do you want to talk about uh, Trump's 100 days? Yeah, I just a uh, brief comment, if I, if I may. Uh, and it is this, that, uh, look, a lot of presidents come to the office full of bluster and pose and know nothing of, of the task ahead. George W. Bush wasn't exactly a Rhodes Scholar in World Affairs when he almost won and took office in 2000. But they all, including Bush, were humbled by the job, by the enormity of it. Many, even Bush, I think, grew in it. And that's why every president, with the exception of Reagan, looked like they aged 45 years while in office. I mean, I can't remember who said it, but Obama came into the office looking like Urkel and left looking like Lou Gossett Jr. Which brings us to Donald Trump and his comment yesterday about how he thought the job would be easier than it is. I mean, in what world, what frame of mind do you have to reside to really believe the job of the President of the United States won't be as taxing as, say, running a casino into the ground, building hotels and parts of Baku, Azerbaijan, a hotel nobody wants but members of the Iranian National Guard, and for that matter, even the job of running for president. To trump the presidency, the actual attaining of the job, the attainment of the job, was akin to the time he told Billy Bush, I moved on her and I failed. I'll admit it. I did try and fuck her. She was married. The difference here, of course, is he didn't fail. It didn't matter that we, the country, were married to things like the Constitution, a functioning EPA, and not embracing and apologizing for Russian despots. The feeling in America these days, for those of us who have it, is the morning after of being, you should pardon the expression, his expression of being fucked. This is what it feels like to get in bed with someone who bragged it was his intention all along, falling for the line and thinking you were going to be treated differently, better than he treated his stakes, his universities, and for that matter, his suppliers and subcontractors on all those many projects. America is now that girl in a hotel room the morning after, looking for her clothes and her dignity and wondering how in the hell we're supposed to get home. Well, with that, we are now um, on the Google Play Store, on Stitcher, and on the iTunes Podcast Store. So please subscribe so that you can hear more wonderful comments like that. And look for us, hopefully, regularly on Sunday mornings as we follow along on Trump's next 100 days, because he has like 1,400 more days to go. Dear God, you know, looking forward to seeing sort of the uh, the awakening of a group of people who are uh, annoyed by this, who haven't, who haven't really been coming out before. So as Republicans keep ignoring to repeal health care and the whatever tax debate ends up happening. So stay tuned and always check out Barry's posts, which I th- you seem to be on a pace for about three to four a week. So. Actually, I try to write writing one every day. Yeah. All right. Every day on FreemanOfThePlains.com. And, uh, you know, make sure to subscribe to this podcast because uh, this medium is growing and political podcasts are the new hot thing. So hopefully you enjoy this and please keep giving us feedback um, because we like to hear it and it helps us put this together. 
So see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Enjoy the beach, Barry. It's actually nice here. So yay. Bye, everybody.